Hello everyone, welcome back to Plotlines. I'm Connor, and this is a very different episode that all, that you all are used to at Plotlines. I have merged with my other podcast known as Catholic Basics because it is a podcast that didn't always that didn't come out regularly, and I think it's important that uh, people get a chance to listen to it that ha- that have listened to Plotlines. Now, uh, don't wor- don't worry. It's not going to become necessarily consistent. If you really like my normal pro- normal episodes, this these are kind of special episodes that uh, I get if people don't want to necessarily listen to. But if you but there might be a certain part of the audience that really would be interested in all of this. So uh, I'll let you all decide for yourselves. But. Um, it's going to be it, it's a good episode so have a great time hello everyone welcome to catholic basics i'm connor and i am the cradle catholic and today with me is noah and he's going to tell you his story thanks for having me on today connor i really appreciate it um so a little bit let's see where i'm coming from so um Baptized as a baby, as a Lutheran, um, raised primarily in a um, Baptist church, but the majority of my spiritual formation happened through the youth group of a non-denominational church. Um, and that was up until, you know, graduating high school. And uh, coming into college, um, living in a Catholic dorm, not for primarily religious reasons, but just for other reasons, um, I kind of had the decision to make as a first semester freshman of, you know, how, where am I going to uh, do my Bible study? Like, where am I going to get in community with I know, a group of believers? And uh, I eventually decided on um, doing my Bible study through my Catholic dorm just because of the fact that I felt that it would be most beneficial to me to meet people that I'm actually living with and, and going to see and interact with every day rather than people that I might only see once a week. Um, Going into that, obviously, not knowing much about the church, um, and uh, just through the Bible study, obviously through that process of a couple years, a lot of my, I would call them my closest brothers in the faith, became Catholics, obviously, as a result of going through the study and just going through life with them for several years. Um, So, and just learning more and more about um, what do I believe, what does the church believe, um, prompted a lot of questions, and kind of started my uh, research and kind of search, realizing that there had to be kind of a confusion in my life because feeling called toward the church, but then realizing that um, my whole life, you know, I've, I've known, felt that I had that relationship with Christ, and I did, but like re- I was confused as to why am I still feeling pulled to this, as if I would imagine how, you know, a non-believer would be called toward Jesus, and um, and I kind of came to the realization that, uh, you know, there is a fullness of the truth. And, yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at now in the RCA process. Oh, he's a catechumen. So he, he's, he's still a human, but he's now being catechesis, whatever. I don't know the word. The well, group. anyways, so I am going to hopefully impart some wisdom on our uh, friend that is joining uh, the Catholic Church in the ver- in the very near future, and uh, today we are, we'll be talking about uh, 
what are ecumenical councils, and we will be talking about the first ecumenical council, the Council of Jerusalem, which I guess some people call it's like sort of a proto-ecumenical council. It's not uh, numbered among like the, um, it's not numbered usually as an ecumenical council, but it is the first, it, or it sets up what every other ecumenical council in the future of the church looked like. And, um, and it is generally about what uh, the Gentiles are supposed to believe or if they are able to be saved through, um, if they have to basically become Jewish in some way or if they can stay in some of their, if they don't have to become Jewish. And, uh, and Paul is leading this uh, exposition to, uh, to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles and to debate the fact debate whether or not the Gentiles should be allowed to continue uh, or, or allowed into the church and into the faithful. So, uh, Noah, if you'd like to read the, the, the passage of Peter speaking. Yeah, so this is found in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 15, starting in verse 7. Um, at this point, they've kind of already gathered. Um, and it says, and this is out of the Dewey Reams Bible. It kind of has. Yes, Very it's the nice. Dewey Reams. So a little, pardon me if I trip up. So it's a, Ver- it's a little older English, but. Verse 7, starting in verse 7 of chapter 15. And when there had been much disputing, Peter, rising up, said to them, Men, brethren, you know that in former days God made choice among us, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knoweth the hearts, gave testimony, giving unto them the Holy Ghost, as well as to us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore... Why tempt you God to put a yoke upon the necks of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we believe to be saved in like manner as they also. And all the multitude held their peace. Okay, so that is, uh, so basically Peter declares the the principle in which they will go on further uh, and the Gentiles will be, brought into the church fully and everyone is utterly silent afterwards there's nothing else to talk about after peter states what they will do no nobody is questioning it whatsoever um and it and that's one of the very important parts of an ecumenical council so what is an ecumenical council the word uh, ecumenical actually comes from a greek word that um that basically means of, of the whole of the of the known world of the whole world from the whole world so it is the de- by definition needs to bring the whole of the i guess the catholic faith together to be united and to make a decision and to and to uh organize things you know why do you think that that these uh, things ever happen? The ecumenical council. Yeah, why do you think an ecumenical council would happen? Uh, from what I understand, it's basically in response to a particular heresy 
um, that is, you know, floating around at the time. Um, yeah. That, that uh, that's normal, except for uh, the latest one. The uh, Vatican II is the only uh, ecumenical council that it was not brought together because of a heresy. But heresy is generally the main reason why that uh, ecumenical councils are formed, and ecumenical councils uh, are, are you don't have to actually be. Um, so usually they're called by the Pope, but they do not have to be called by the Pope. In uh, the first major uh, council after the Council of Jerusalem uh, was called actually by the Emperor Constantine, though he did not participate in the, the actual going on. I mean, he sat there. He sat at the head of the council, but he didn't actually do anything. Um, and the Pope wasn't actually there because he had set what they call a legate, or I'm probably messing up that it's probably something in Latin. Representative, basically. Yeah, basically he sends an ambassador to oversee, to represent his views on the subject uh, in that situation. So ecumenical, ecumenical councils are, have been a, a bringing together of, of all the most important, or bishops from all over, all over Christendom. Um, most, um, and... Uh, in, originally, it was mostly in East. Uh, Eastern bishops were mostly the ones that came to the early, uh, to, yeah, to the early councils because all the councils were held in the East, in the Eastern part of the Roman Empire. And so the reason it's ecumenical is because it's all of the settled land, and that's all the land in which they knew. So even in the first ecumenical council called by Constantine, it was. Uh, bishops from outside the realm of the empire did come. So not just Rome, not necessarily just Roman bishops came, people from outside did as well. Though it was less because most people lived in the Roman Empire to begin with. But ecumenical councils have a very important uh, effect on, uh, on Catholic doctrine, Catholic uh, Basically, how you know the faith, how they, they know how people know the faith, and what they know the faith is, and generally, there there weren't there wasn't like a council that began that started with everybody meeting up and okay we're gonna write down everything in which we believe, because most of ev most of what they believed was either uh, orally tran or was an oral tradition, or eventually was put into the was you know, compiled into the Bible, um, which was much, which was, I can't remember what the year it was, but it was a while after the apostles were actually around when the Bible was put together. Um, but yeah, so ecumenical councils ha are generally, are, are, have basically the effect of bringing the Pope and all the bishops together. And that's why they generally have the most important impact on the faithful when it comes to this. So, um, what's your first? What's your thoughts on the setup of ecumenical councils, just based on your background coming from Protestantism? Hmm. I would say that um, a primary question, I guess, that I would have would be. 
what determines, like, is it, like, who determines the calling of an ecumenical council? Is that a papal decision? Is that, like, kind of a agreed-upon thing? Because if I understand correctly, there have not been very many in, like, it's not like a, not even like an every, it's not like a every so often there just is one, and there's been many years at certain times without one. So is there something that, besides like the heresy, but like obviously like who would start, like who would start that process? Um, I would guess, uh, I would suppose that the Pope would start that in today, but previously anyone could ca- theoretically call a, uh, any bishop could probably call it. It would just, the, see, even in the ones with the, bi- even when the Pope wasn't actually there, he had to, so he wasn't at the Council of Nicaea, but he did have to s- basically s- give his stamp of approval for anyone to actually follow the, um, decrees. The, yes, follow the Council to begin with. Um, so there was always this, uh, primacy given to, given to the Pope at councils, and it makes sense that as things would go along, he would, especially with communication being it, the way it was in in uh, antiquity, and in, and go, but then changing in medieval, and plus as schisms happened and heresies happened, things got a lot easier to bring together all the bishops around the Pope to uh, clarify things. And, um, but yeah, so there's been, there's 21 recognized ecumenical councils for the Catholic Church. The Orthodox only accept the first seven. And is that before they broke apart then? Yes. Okay. That they don't accept anything after. Do they have their, their own schism. councils? Or? No. They have not been able to ever achieve an ecumenical council by themselves. And a lot of them believe that they can't have an ecumenical council without the Pope. Interesting. Interesting. So, what is their? So, have their beliefs not changed then? Nope, they haven't changed. Whatsoever. They haven't evolved. I mean, the Catholic Church hasn't changed either necessarily. It's more just an evolution of reaffirmment of doctrine and uh, and clarifications and just sort of different writings. Basically, I mean, it's sort of like how. Sort of how language changes over time. Mm-hmm. You gener- and uh, people ask other new questions, basically, or or make statements that they otherwise wouldn't have made in um, I don't know four hundred and whatever. Because most of because each ecumenical council is built on the fact that somebody was you know questioned one thing. So the first one was about well, I guess the proto one was about. Uh, uh, how circumcision. circumcision and the Gentiles. The second one was, uh, what is Jesus compared to God or compared to the Father? And how how long after the first one was the second one? I think that's like four hundred and something or okay. three hundred and something. Gotcha. It's the so it's several hundred years. Yes, gotcha. because um, prior to that, the uh, the religion had been outlawed. Gotcha. And nobody could meet yeah. in a ecumenical form yeah because everyone would get killed um, or arrested at least so they couldn't do it yeah. without yeah without everyone without everyone there it's like yeah how do you can how do you um how do you meet whenever when the pope's getting killed all the time yeah 
Like, that's just kind of rough. Like, yeah. in, and that's with, like, pretty much every bishop because there have been plenty of bishops that were martyred in the early church. But how do you keep, how do you keep, how can you have an ecumenical council or even, a, you know, like, uh, um, I don't know, a formal anything when you're worried about getting killed? And back in those days, actually, um, it, uh, uh, everything was super secret. So even for catechumens like yourself, you wouldn't be able to be allowed to be at mass during the consecration. Is this is generally or like you wouldn't be allowed? Involved in you had to leave. You would have oh, okay. to leave if if you were a catechumen. If you were learning to become, if you wanted to become a church member, you weren't told about the Eucharist. Oh, this is during the outlawing of yes. Gotcha. You wouldn't be told about the Eucharist. Until you like came into could, the church, could, yeah, receive it. I don't know if it was at the same time, but I do. Th I imagine so, especially if you were an adult. But um, yeah. because you'd be able to. But then a lot of um, uh, that actually is one of the um, one of the main reasons why we know that people had um, infant baptisms was because families would get arrested, and in fear of that they would baptize their children as quickly as humanly possible because if because they knew that if they got arrested they would who knows if they'd ever get out yeah. and then they would never get to baptize their child mm -hmm. and that would just doom everything so there's a lot of stuff because of persecution that um that affects that affected the catholic church but and um and the fact and p there's a lot of misconceptions that like Constantine like changed the church coming out of it when he when he allowed when he made it legal that because he made it, because he brought the council together that oh it doesn't make any sense because I don't know anybody that would or I don't know any Protestants other than like uh, I don't know Arians that would disagree with the Council of Nicaea. Which what was affirmed during that council? Uh, that Jesus and uh, Jesus and the Father are one substance. Along with the Holy Spirit, was that? A uh, that was the next council. That was the next council. That pre that that preempted the uh, the qu the question. The next council's question, which was, "What's the Holy Spirit? Gotcha. Like, is the Holy Spirit uh, one uh, part of that uh, person as gotcha. well, or a part of the Trinity?" And, and that's generally how things go. It's like, okay, you ask, people are wondering this. So you go basically, okay, you form one thing, and then somebody else asks the same thing like 20 years later. Okay, you, you, form, you affirm that. Then, you, uh, then somebody asks another question again, and then you have to go back and forth every time somebody uh, you know, does all these things. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing that I found in learning is not realizing that like kind of like you said kind of counter that a lot of these beliefs are affirmed i guess i don't know too much about the i don't know more extreme versions of christianity but like for all like practical purposes practicing christians like i think all christians would agree that you know it's a trinity right like that's not yeah, it's a specific that, catholic doctrine that's that is something that also you know obviously um, Lutherans or like uh, most I think all Protestants would hopefully believe that um, so I found that interesting that that 
belief did not come directly, you know, from the Bible or from, um, but came through the council, which is important. The only way they uh, believe it is because the Pope signed off. <laughs> so I guess they should get rid of that if they... Uh, and now, Connor, was there a conference to put the Bible together? Or? Uh, I'm not totally sure. We'll probably cover that some other time. I'm not... Uh, I, I'm not entirely sure what year it was, but I don't think it was done in a council. Okay. Um, one of another, one of the most interesting councils actually was actually the Second Council of Ephesus, in which uh, basically some heretic took over the council, didn't let anyone vote, and basically wrote down what he wanted, and just said that's it. Was this a bishop or? Yeah, it was bishop. Okay. And then he exiled the guy who led the first council of Ephesus who would never return again who died somewhere off you know in the lands of either the east or the north or something like that what was the issue being discussed at that council um I think it was Mary okay uh so how did the people react to him oh (laughs) well then they had the council of Chalcedon which was in response to that which uh Actually, the Pope uh, brought that about. He personally decided, this was Pope Leo the Great, and he, uh, he brought, he basically uh, m- brought everyone back again, st- said, ba- call, he called the council the ro- a robber council, uh, and he reaffirmed what they had already, reaff- already affirmed, um, um, in the first council of Ephesus, because in the first council of Ephesus, they affirmed, our they affirmed the the orthodox belief, and then the second one undid it, or yeah. tried to undo it without any vote, without any, without anything. Yeah, they didn't even read the theology, because the theology was actually written by Pope Leo the Great. He was the one. It's called Pope Leo, or it's Leo's Tome, I think it's called. Um, he wrote it, so they uh, they had been voting on whether or not that was the correct theology to use or the correct writing to use when discussing. I, I still can't remember what it was, but like, but anyways, Pope Leo uh, just redid the council basically and cho- and just un and did it, and then he exiled the other guy, the guy the guy that was exiled, the guy that was unexiled. But the guy that was exiled never came back. Yeah. Because he, he died. Yeah, that's what I think happened. I think, wow. he, I think he just died out. He's a saint. current, uh, But the other guy is also a saint because, uh, not in the Catholic Church, but in some Orthodox uh, churches actually broke with with the Catholic uh, and just basically main, main, or main, mainstream Catholicism and like uh, Christendom in general. I mean, these were like only a small fraction of the Orthodox churches that we think of today like these aren't like constantinople these aren't like the most important seas but but they they broke away from that was this before that the orthodox church broke up? oh yeah this was like 500 years okay. earlier and actually one of the one of the um schisms so at one point i believe that um during the schism is that they both rescinded the pope and the patriarch of constantinople both rescinded their excommunication of each other, which basically ends it. And then um, the Turkish sultan um, 
basically appointed a new patriarch and then made that patriarch excommunicate the Pope. Interesting. And that's actually the l last thing of the schism. Though then the then it was undone again. But but that was the for like for a long time that's actually the reason the Orthodox and the Catholic Church was was broken. It was actually because of a Turkish patriarch. A patriarch put in power by the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire, which I, if I, I mean, I don't think you should ever trust a Sultan of the Ottoman Empire within Christian, uh, you know, uh, yeah, like, I, I don't think you would respect the patriarch that, you know, gets overthrown constantly. Yeah, I would agree with that. That, you know, he's, ba the patriarch currently is basically hostage in Constantinople. So, I mean, it's a, the Orthodox are in a really tight bind. Interesting, but they, but seriously, they still don't, a lot of them be, don't believe that you could have a ecumenical council without the Pope. And so have they been invited to councils? Kinda? I think the first Vatican council they were invited to. I don't know if they went, though. Okay, gotcha. Second Vatican, they were not, which is the most recent, I correct? So In the 60s? Vatican yeah, 60s. Yeah. Um, which is a which is di which didn't involve a heresy is the only one that did involve a heresy. So basically, when you take the power of the Pope and you take the power of all the bishops coming together, it sort of equates something sort of ultimate, I guess you could say, within mm -hmm. the church. It's it's uh, not that they're changing anything. That's the thing. It's like it's not really any. There's nothing to change. It's just to reaffirm, mostly. So, gotcha. I think one question I have from the Protestant perspective, because what I have heard is that, for example, like Vatican II, um, I've heard that it like abolished the practice of not being able to eat meat on Fridays and Lent. Um, oh. Okay. So it basically changed that from being a sin to not being a sin. Would that be a change? I think I think you're thinking of canon law. Okay. Which canon law is not dogmatic. Okay. Canon law changes at every council. Okay. Uh, at one point, we ha we would have to wait twenty four hours to, uh, to eat before, or we we couldn't eat for twenty four hours before going to mass. Gotcha. That's one point. At one point, that was the that was canon law. Gotcha. At one of the councils, I can't remember which one. Gotcha. But, and slowly it has uh been rescinded. Um. But it's basically like, it's basically how it's not, it's pastoral. It's, those rules are meant for how to guide the faithful, but they're not, um, they're, A, they're not infallible, and B, they, uh, they are, um, they are basically how the church is to run. Yeah. And that's about it. But, so so they don't yeah. necessarily constitute sins or... It's a good question. Um, although, um, no, you, you are under Vatican II, I believe you are still not, you are still supposed to abstain from meat on Fridays. I don't think that's true. Because uh, yeah. you can look at my calendar. It literally yeah. has fish on the Fridays. Yeah. So that's not actually true. Um, but... Uh, most people don't know about that anyways, which doesn't constitute a sin because 
you have to know about it. Yeah. Do it. But you can also replace it with not doing it, giving something up. Yeah. If you it's it's all because it's about the principle and it's not about the, the actual the actual stuff. Yeah. It's not about the it's not the literal thing that you're doing that's the that's the thing. It's you're giving something up for God on Friday that you would like to do. Yeah. You would prefer to do that. Uh, I know people that uh, I know of people that don't aren't going to eat meat at all during Lent. Oh, interesting. Yeah, which people do confuse like Fridays. I mean, I know we're kind of off topic, but this is like I guess this is this does pertain to ecumenical councils only in the sense of laws, Mm -hmm. because every ecumenical council has canon laws, and you can, and that's actually the legal basis of all other legal um, institutions. In the world, or in in the West, at least, the Catholic Church built law in uh, in every Western nation. Interesting. Yeah. But um, but yeah, because so. Uh, but yeah, so for Sundays are not part of Lent because they're not part of the forty days. Gotcha. Because Lent starts on Ash Wednesday. Gotcha. Which this is coming. From, yeah, which from Ash Wednesday to the Saturday of is True Vigil. No, no, to that Saturday, like the Saturday right after Ash Wednesday. Oh, okay. Give you give you the days that you would have had would have had on Sundays. Interesting. I never knew that. Yes. Oh, so it's still forty days because that's the point. Is forty days for Lent to uh, kind of simulate. Jesus, Jesus, yeah. forty days yeah. in the desert. Um, yeah. So, but yeah. So canon law can change. That's a, but that is still a rule. This the fish. Fish is still a rule. Uh, I didn't know that until like college, to be honest. Uh, it's not really something that actually people teach, which is kind of funny. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff that people don't teach that don't that people don't teach, which is why we're doing this. Other, otherwise, people wouldn't know it because there's no place anyone would tell you. Like, for example, when you get holy water every time you walk into church, it uh, cleanses you of venial sins. Yeah, I, I didn't know that until you told me. Yes. So, because uh, the idea of confession being more for mor- mortal sin, correct? Yeah. Well, confession is for mortal sin, and it's more about baptism. It's uh, you're basically baptizing yourself again. In terms of the holy water. Yeah. Gotcha. It's basic. You're confirming that you be- you believe yeah. you. Th- Still, yeah. yeah. And it's sort of it's a part of the mass that is basically baptism uh, again. Uh, but yeah, I mean, no, it's not. I mean, it's prior to mass. That's the problem. Is because it's prior to mass, nobody thinks about it. Is it customary to do it afterwards or only before? Yes, yes. It's anytime you can get it. I mean, uh, it's very important. Lent. It's you know, you don't want you don't want uh, a church to lose you know run out of holy water um, uh, during Lent. That would be bad for people. Actually, I have some holy water right here. You can take holy water if you want. Wait, did you purchase this or? No, no. I mean, I, you just have you just scoop it up. In a specific container. I don't think it matters what container it is. Gotcha. I didn't know that. 
It's yeah. like literally. You could technically scoop it up, but um, I mean, we don't have a at our church here. We don't have a fountain, so we probably shouldn't. Yeah. Okay. Because that's us. Yeah. Not a if lot. you have a baptismal font, font, font. Yes, a baptismal font. Then it's easier because there's a lot of. Because that looks water. to be amount about the amount that's in. The yeah, and in it's the thing. And <laughs> I was like, that's a lot. And it's flowing water, so that's all. In the font. Yeah, in the font. Okay. So. Not much. No, not in, not in ours. We don't have a. Unfortunately, we don't have a, a big font. We we have a chapel, so it's not that big. How does do most places have a font? Or? Um. Yeah, most parishes have fonts. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, and usually it's pretty big because in most baptisms, especially if you're in a, if it's an adult baptism, you get all the way in. Gotcha. You're uh, you're fully submerged. submerged with the priest. You and the priest go diving. Really? Yeah, it's very it's very interesting to watch, and you're you have like a you're wearing the baptismal gown because there's a special gown for baptisms. Is in it the white? Catholic, yeah, it's a white. It's like pure, pureness, yeah. Yeah. the pureness of um, yeah. of baptismal gown. But yeah, no, we got really far off track of the yeah. ecumenical councils. Um, do you have any specific questions? Uh, of any uh, anything specific about the ex- ecumenical councils? I think I just wanted to share something that I actually just learned. I don't remember where I learned this. Um, because I think, I mean, obviously for me coming from Protestantism, it's like, well, you know, the infallibility slash authority of the Pope is questionable from that perspective, right, of being, you know, a man. Like, he's not God, obviously. And, like, um, we could get into the whole you know, <laughs> Peter thing. We, well, but, we've also um, talked about the fact that whenever you believe in something, you make it infallible. You, to you, it's infallible. Yes, we have talked about Otherwise, that. why would you believe in something? Yeah. True. So either you're getting it from yourself or that crazy guy down the street that sometimes preaches, uh, yeah. also called a pastor sometimes. Um, the guy on the quad. Or, yeah, the guy in the yeah, the guy on a quad, you know, yelling at students, you know, uh, that they, yeah, you don't <laughs> do you want it from that guy or do you want it from uh, from a church that has been around forever? So something that I learned is um, actually right before, because obviously, uh, you know, much, you know, Jesus wasn't super fond of the Pharisees. They weren't his probably his best friends. Um, he loved them, obviously. But um, but I, I never realized this. So something I learned that, you know, uh, something that Catholics say, you know, the Pope during infallibility sits ex cathedra, correct? Ex cathedra, yeah. Which means on the seat of Moses, which I didn't know what that meant and and it's only three times ever yeah yeah but i didn't actually know this is in the bible if you look in the gospel of matthew chapter 23 jesus is speaking to um you know just the the squad um just 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 you know passerby and also his disciples it's it's just the dewey reams is interesting because it does sound often like uh you know like colloquial no like just kind of like bro thing yeah. like men fraternity brethren purpose. yeah so it says if you look at obviously this is the dewey reams but if you look at chapter 23 of matthew you can also use this verse one it says then jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples saying the scribes and pharisees have sitten on the chair of moses all things therefore whatsoever they shall say to you observe and do but according to their works do ye not 
for they say and do not. For they bind heavy and insupportable burdens and lay on them men's shoulders, but with the finger of their own they will not move them. Um, and, you know, he kind of, Jesus kind of goes on to eventually say, you know, they're blind guides, they are not, you know, you know, they're, they look clean on the outside, whatever their hearts are not here, pure. But I thought that was interesting because I think a lot of, um, one of the common arguments I've heard from the Protestant side is, well, let's just look at the track record of popes, right? There's been some popes that are not, uh, I think, um, even ca- obviously a Catholic would agree. Evil not, popes? Yeah, not, not fitting. Evil popes. Not fitting. But it, this is obviously um, spoken to an audience who certainly Jesus is condemning as evil and of misguiding the people, blind guides. But notice what Jesus says here. He says, the scribes and the Pharisees have sitting on the chair of Moses, which means what? That that is... That was, you know, the common Jewish practice, ex cathedra. The word does actually not come from the Catholic Church. It comes from Judaism, uh, which meant that, you know, they had the authority, obviously Moses being the one to receive the law. Um, So I thought that was really interesting that he says, um, all things, therefore, whatsoever they shall say to you, observe and do, which I think that, um, you know, even probably most Catholics are not so keen on doing um, in terms of, agreeing with, not necessarily agreeing with, but observing and performing what the Pope says. So I thought that was just a really interesting thing that I Well, when he's got to learn. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's, yeah, there's a, there's a, it's specifically talking about when he, when, in childhood. Yeah, which is literally, which is pretty much just every ecumenical council and, and the three times he did it singly, singularly. Um, which, which was ex cathedra, um, but yeah. So that is a a big element. Um, but also, I mean, he also tells the apostles that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose in on earth is loose in heaven. Yes. Which, I mean, it's kind of. Basically, it, I mean, it gives the apostles the powers to do all those things. And every time an apostle gave or ordained another bishop, it gave them the same powers. Yeah, because of the breathing of the, yeah. And the breath. Yeah, which every time that bishop does that, that happens. Continues. Every time that, that it, that's called apostolic succession. Wouldn't that be crazy if it went all the way down? Wouldn't it kind of? Whoa! Wouldn't it be crazy? Oh wait, it does. Yeah. Yeah. And no, every every bishop has apostolic succession in the Catholic Church, and that's the problem with every other church, other than Orthodoxy. Do they still have the succession? Yeah, they're just in schism, not in. They don't have any. They haven't done anything. That would destroy their, um, yeah, their apostolic succession. Gotcha. Like the, I think one of the big reasons that the like the British lost or the Anglican Church lost their apostolic succession, well, they tended to kill their bishops. No, that's not very. That's not very good, is it? They did. They executed all their all their uh, all their bishops. Why is that? Because they were Catholic. What year is that? So when Henry VIII was, uh, you know, he, he just executed all of them. 
one of them died on the way there, but whatever. Yeah. He missed one on yeah. accident. One di- one died, but yeah, like uh, uh, Cardinal John F- uh, or Bishop John Fisher uh, was. Uh, there were a couple different Wolsey. There were a bunch of different um, uh, bishops in that area, but um, most of them were executed. There were some that did, you know, apostolic succession did last for a little bit of time during, uh, for like maybe a hundred years or something. But that was about it. And then it died out. Not quite as long. And then they started ordaining women, which is, which cuts them completely off of like any legitimacy in like any of that. And this is still the Anglican Church or something? Yeah. The Anglican Church was very close to unification with the Catholic Church until until it started ordaining female priests and and uh, and you know gay marriage and uh, and abortion. Which actually, interesting enough, the Church of England just came out with a couple of, a couple of weeks ago. It came out with like a guidelines of of sex, which was basically like only between married men and women should sex be allowed. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. And then they had to apologize for it after. To, like, to who? To yeah. everyone. For not being politically correct? I guess. To take your side. But then they also affirmed what they said. So they both the, they both apologized and affirmed what they said. Well, affirmation's good, right? Yeah. So, I, you know, I just... I don't know what that group... I mean, the amount of different... Uh, Protestant churches that have split as of lately. Well, I think the Anglican Church has split. The Episcopals did. Okay. Which is the, Epis- the Anglicans in America. Yeah, they split. The United Methodists are no longer the United Methodists. They're the divided Methodists. Um, not really, but they, they split from each other. So I, I like to call them the divided Methodist church now. Um, I, I, oh, another thing, one uh I was having a conversation with somebody um, about uh, uh, about Protestantism, and they were talking about how uh, they know people that are Lutheran, and they were like, "We don't," or and they they told him that the, uh, Lutherans don't have saints, and well, I'll break it to you, they do. Each of their churches is named after a saint. Yeah, that's correct. like. Like, that doesn't make any sense. How could you not have saints if you name your churches after saints? Yeah. But anything else about ecumenical councils? Um, I don't think so at the moment, Connor. Thanks for uh, all your wisdom and for allowing me to be on today. I have no wisdom. You can thank God for anything that may have brought you wisdom uh, yeah, but, today. Um, yeah. <laughs> praise be him. But yes, praise you be are him. helpful. Thank a helpful well, friend. thank you for coming on. Uh, we will see you next time. Well, at least I will. Maybe we'll get Noah to Maybe, come back. Maybe, we'll see. Who knows? Determines how well the pay is, right? The pay and, yeah. you know, if people start saying, we want Noah back. Wow, that would be, that would must, be crazy. They must be deaf. I mean, I don't know why you would, <laughs> but, you know, generally speaking, I, we'd probably listen to the fans. <laughs> The fans that currently don't exist yet, but they will. Hopefully, they will in the future. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Have a blessed day. Bye.